Now we're turning in our Bible tonight to the book of Job And we're at Job chapter 42 Job chapter 42 And we're going to read together from the verse 1 Let's hear the word of the Lord, reading, of course, from the authorized verse. Job chapter 42, verse 1. Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that thou canst do everything, and that no thought can be withholden from thee. Who is he that hideth counsel without knowledge? Therefore have I uttered that I understood not, things too wonderful for me, which I knew not. Here I beseech thee, and I will speak, I will demand of thee, and declare thou unto me. I have heard of thee by the hearing of the ear, but now mine eye seeth thee. Wherefore I abhor myself, and repent in dust and ashes. And it was so, after that the Lord had spoken these words unto Job, the Lord said to Eliphaz the Temanite, My wrath is kindled against thee and against thy two friends, for ye have not spoken of me the thing that is right, as my servant Job hath. Therefore take unto you now seven bullocks and seven rams, and go to my servant Job, And offer up for yourselves a burnt offering. And my servant Job shall pray for you. For him will I accept. Lest I deal with you after your folly. In that ye have not spoken of me the thing which is right. Like my servant Job. So Eliphaz the Temite. And Bildad the Shuhite. And so far the uh, Naamite went and did according as the Lord commanded them. The Lord also accepted Job. And the Lord turned the captivity of Job when he prayed for his friends. Also the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. Then came there unto him all his brethren and all his sisters and all they that had been of his acquaintance before and did eat bread with him in his house. And they bemoaned him and comforted him over all the evil that the Lord had brought upon him. Every man also gave him a piece of money, and every one an earring of gold. So the Lord blessed the latter end of Job more than his beginning, for he had 14,000 sheep, and 6,000 camels, and a 1,000 yoke of oxen, and a 1,000 she-hasses. He had also seven sons and three daughters, and he gave the name of the first, Jemima, and the name of the second, Keziah, and the name of the third, Kieran Hapuk. And in all the land were no women found so fair as the daughters of Job. And their father gave them inheritance among their brethren. After this, Job lived an hundred and forty years and saw his sons and his sons' sons, even four generations. So Job died being old and full of days. 
Amen. The Lord will stamp with his own approval and blessing this reading of his own precious and infallible word. Now, my text this evening is taken from Job 42, verses 5 and 6. And this is what the word of God says. I have heard of thee by the hearing of the ear, but now mine eye seeth thee, wherefore I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. I've entitled my message tonight, The Confession of Her Brooked Father. Now, these words were uttered by Job after an intense period of suffering and pain. A time when Job went through a period of complete and utter brokenness before the Lord. And the very words, wherefore I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes, are indicative of that spirit of brokenness. Now, as you look at this text and think of these words, I want you to think of three things tonight. I want you to think, first of all, of the experience of this brokenness. You see, when I read the book of Job, I've discovered that Job was broken in three particular ways. First of all, he was broken by suffering. So you've got to think now, and I want you to think biblically. The book of Job has 42 chapters in it. 42 chapters covering one man's life. There is not a lot of scripture. We could ask the question, when did Job live? We think about his time span. People ask, was he a companion and a contemporary of Abraham? We don't know. The Bible is silent. Where did he live? He lived in the land of Uz. Can we pinpoint the exact location? Was it in the plains of Jordan? Was it in the land of Canaan, Israel? Or, or was it elsewhere in the Mediterranean? We could ask the question, what way did he live? Now we do know this, that he was an Old Testament believer. He was a saved man. He was deeply religious. And he was a very upright man. In fact, the Bible says he was a man who feared God and who hated evil. We know he was married. We're not told his wife's name. And we know that he had ten children. If you look at Job chapter 1 and in the verse 2 it says, And there were born unto him seven sons and three daughters. So he had ten children. And he prayed for them every day. Now, there's lots about Job that we don't know. So I've asked myself the question, why 42 chapters that are dedicated and devoted to this one particular man? There's others in the Bible who were truly great men, spiritual giants, and there's not much by way of lots of scripture devoted to their life. But why 42 chapters to Job? And I believe one of the answers is this, one that I have thought about, that Job is a very clear reference to being a representative man regarding the suffering of God's people down through the ages of time. I want you to think of the way that Job suffered, and I want you to think of how people suffer today. Job suffered bereavement. I'm just after announcing the very sudden, sad passing of Mr. Gordon Dunn. And Job, too, suffered bereavement. You would say, well, it would be hard suffering the loss of one son or one daughter. But Job suffered the loss of ten children, seven sons and three daughters. And it all happened in one day. The house that they were in 
It was hit by a tornado or a cyclone, and Job was plunged into great suffering and a time of great grief. Could you just imagine the heartbreak, the tears, the unanswered questions, the ten funerals? Did they take place all in one day? Job also suffered financially. Job suffered a great financial crash, the loss of his farm. He had 7,000 sheep. That's a lot of sheep. He had 3,000 camels. Don't know how difficult they are to look after, but I'm sure they were. He had 500 yoke of oxen. He had 500 she-hasses. He had a great household of servants. And he lost it all. You, you think of the, the calamity of that. You, you think of the, 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 the depth of that disaster. In the 1920s, in the Great Depression, in New York, there was people who went to bed who were multimillionaires. They woke up paupers, and they were so distraught and so overcome that they jumped out of their windows and committed suicide from five and six and more stories high. Job also suffered an incurable illness. His health broke down. What had happened to him had a mental toll upon him. It affected him physically. He was left with very painful boils all over his body. He wanted to be free from the pain. If you're suffering pain, you want to be free from that pain. You prick me with a little thorn and I'm crying like a baby. I, I'm not a good person who, who suffers pain. Job, in all his pain, wanted to die. On top of that, he had domestic problems. He had a wife who didn't fully understand him or a wife who fully didn't know God. She suggested, I have an idea, Job, curse God and die. You see, she was angry at God. She was bitter. She blamed him. It's his fault. All these bereavements, this financial calamity, Job, your illness, it's all God's fault. So he had domestic problems that, that arose in his home. And um, he lost the respect of his wife. He lost her love of helping him. They were there to hinder him. They, they completely misunderstood him. You know what they did? I'm not going into all the discussion. But they branded him a big sinner. They said, Job, you have sinned privately. You've sinned in your heart, in your thoughts. You, you've done something really to annoy and anger God. And we're, we're here to tell you to repent. And all three of them, that was their line of reckoning and reasoning for what had happened. Eliphaz, Bildad, the Shuhite, and Zophar, and then another man called Elihu. You, you have secretly sinned, Job. You're being punished for it. God's angry with you. You need to repent and get right with him. That was their analysis. Of course, totally wrong. They said truthful things, but it was misapplied to Job. And then, of course, Job suffered the attack of the devil. Read Job 1 and 2. Satan was at the back of it. The Lord had permitted Satan to attack Job. So this is a time of suffering. There's deep trials. This man has got many tears. And you see, the book of Job is a book dealing with suffering. And that's why there's 42 chapters in it. And also you have in this book God's answer to suffering in the hard and difficult times. You see, Job is looking for answers. But the answers didn't come in the way Job expected. Because we could really say with the Apostle John, chapter 13, verse 7, What I do now you know not, but ye shall know hereafter. And maybe right now there's someone here, someone listening to me, and you've been absolutely broken by suffering 
in the way that I've described, or maybe in other ways. There's big trials in your life now. You're facing different circumstances and problems, and you're looking for answers. You're getting answers, but not the answers you expect. See, part of the answer lies in the fact that Job discovered something of the glory and greatness of God. And Job discovers at the end of this period of suffering that God is in absolute sovereign control over the whole of creation, over the animal kingdom, and that God is absolutely sovereign in Job's life. And he's calling on Job, trust me, even though you can't trace my hand. Trust me in the dark times as well as in the daytime. So in the experience of brokenness, here's one of the ways he's broken by suffering. Can I tell you something else? He's broken by speech. Look at our text. It says in verse 5, I've heard of thee by the hearing of the ear. I have a question tonight. Have you heard the speech of the Lord? You see, Isaiah 66 and 2 says, To this man will I look even to him that is poor, that is spiritually poor, not financially, and of a contrite spirit, a broken spirit, and trembleth at my word. It's interesting here in what Job had to say. I believe every word here is full of meaning. In the journey of life, in the midst of this being broken by suffering, something happened to Job. He was also broken by the speech of God. A saved man who suffered in the way that I described, and yet he was a man to whom the Lord spoke. Doesn't the Bible say, faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God? And how does God speak to us today? Job said, I have heard of thee by the hearing of the ear. What did he hear? God speaks to us through creation. Remember what the psalmist said in Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. Day on the day utter his speech, and night on the night showeth knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. God has made this world to preach a, a silent sermon, to bring a, a, a powerful message about his eternal power and Godhead. Listen to what Paul says, Romans 1. He took up this theme of the speech of God in creation. Because that which may be known of God is manifested in them. For God has showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen. Being understood by the things that are made. Even his eternal power and Godhead. So that they are without excuse. Job heard the voice of his creator. You see after Job's four miserable friends had finished speaking. Then the Lord began to question Job. In Job 38, and in the verse 1, we read this. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said. The word then is hotan, which means at that time. And what was he speaking to God or speaking to Job about? You see, if you carefully examine Job 38 and Job 39, Job was forced to reflect on the greatness of God regarding God's creative power over the whole of creation. You see, he begins to question Job. And he gives Job questions that Job can't actually answer. Listen again to chapter 38 and verse 4. Where was thou when I laid the foundations of the earth? Declare it if thou hast 
understanding. What do you know about creation, Job? Where were you at the beginning? You see, these questions were not for the Lord's benefit because he knows all things, and Job confessed that, but for Job's benefit. These 50, 60 questions all has to do with the greatness of God and creation. And in all of these questions, God was speaking to Job. He also speaks to us through the law. Really, the inbuilt monitor that God has created within us to teach us what is right and wrong. Conscience tells us about God, about sin, about our soul, about right and wrong living. You see, again, if we think back to the book of Romans, in Romans chapter 2, it says in verse 14, For when the Gentiles, which have not the law, do by nature the things contained in the law, these having not the law are a law unto themselves, which show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and their thoughts the meanwhile accusing or else excusing one another in the day when God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. God also speaks to us by the prophets. See, the Lord has never left himself without a witness. The Lord has raised up and sent forth prophets. He has raised up preachers. Thus and thus saith the Lord, every son of Adam, therefore, from the dawn of time, has heard about the Lord. Isn't this exactly what the Apostle Paul said in the book of Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 11, and in the verse 1? This is what Paul said in Hebrews chapter, uh, 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 sorry, chapter 1, uh, verse 1, God's Son. In fact, at the Mount of Transfiguration, Matthew 17 and 5, God the Father said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye, and he cried out, Will not of this man to reign over us? They heard about him. They knew about him. They, they heard about him. And God speaks to us by his word. The word is preached. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. And I ask tonight, have you, and the way we've heard it, and even when we heard it, where we heard it, you see, we've all heard of him. And the question is, have you trembled at his word? Job said, if you go back to Job in 42, he says this, I have heard of thee. Only if you heard of him, but have you seen him? If you turn over there to John chapter 6 and look with me at verse 40, you'll hear these words. And this is the will of him that sent me, that every one which seeth the Son and believeth in him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Remember it says in Hebrews 1 and 2, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, who made the appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the world. It's one thing to hear the Son speak, but it's quite a different thing to see him. Isn't that what John says? And this is the will of him that sent me, that every one which seeth the Son and believeth in him may have everlasting life. Have you seen him tonight as the glorious creator? The one who made you in his image? See, the Lord is dealing with Job. The Lord is asking all these questions. And he's saying to Job, what do you know about the creation of the world? If we think of chapters 38 and 39. Job admits that he knows nothing in comparison to the knowledge that God has. 
He's asking Job, do you know the answer to these questions? And if you read them carefully, Job discovers that the Lord is in control of all things. The control of the storm, the control of the lightning, the control of the hail, the, the snow, the animals, they all follow his bidding. And here's Job's response, chapter 40 and verse 4. Behold, I am vile. What shall I answer thee? I will lay mine hand upon my mouth. Job discovers that because the Lord is in absolute control of all things, then he can do nothing but abhor himself before the Lord. If we were to study then the rest of chapter 40 and 41, we'll discover that the Lord asked Job a second set of questions. And this time, Job was getting a sight of him, not as the glorious creator, but as the glorious redeemer. And he's asking him questions now about salvation and about redemption. If you turn over there to um, chapter 40, and we read there in verse 8, Wilt thou also disannul my judgment? Wilt thou condemn me, that thou mayest be righteous? Hast thou an arm like God, or canst thou thunder with a voice like him? You see, he's asking Job this question, can you disannul my judgment? Can you set it to the one side, Job? Could you ever reprove me as a righteous judge? The reality is you can't get away from my judgment. You can't get out from under my judgment. You can't reprove me. You don't have an arm like mine to save yourself or to save others. He invites Job to put on his best robe, to array himself in majesty and beauty. To, to take the voice of thunder and speak with power and authority. And he's asking Job in verse 14, Canst thy hand bring about salvation? Can thy hand save thee? Job, bring the best, bring the mightiest, bring the proudest spirit you can. And, and ask yourself, can you do the things that I can do? And the answer is no. Job discovered he had no power to save himself. He says in verse 14, Then will I also confess unto thee that thine own right hand can save thee. If you could do this, then I'll profess it, but you can't. That's what God is saying. You see, he points Job to two created animals, one in land and one in sea, called behemoth, another called leviathan, animals that men were afraid to approach. Animals that men had no control over. Animals that men could not take a sword to. And, and God is asking Job, well, what sort of arm can control such creatures in land or sea? And there's only one answer. The arm of the Lord. And who is the arm of the Lord? It's none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. See, think of Simeon tonight. He was an old man. What did he say? Now let us thy servant depart in peace for mine eyes of what? Seen thy salvation. He's seen the salvation of God in the face of Christ. And Job said, but now mine eye seeth thee. What did he see? The glory of God as creator. The glory of God as redeemer. That essential glory, that eternal glory, that sovereign glory, that powerful glory. And he realized there's nothing I can do. Only God can do all things. He, he bowed the, this head and, and cried in his heart, How great thou art! Like Abraham, he rejoiced to see this glory of God. Whenever Isaiah saw the glory of the Lord in the house of God, 
What was his response? Woe is me, for I am undone. I am a man of unclean lips, for mine eyes have seen thy glory. And here's the experience of brokenness. Broken by suffering. Broken by speech. But broken by a sight of the Lord. I want to move on quickly, and it will be quickly. The evidence of brokenness. Look at verse 6. Wherefore, the word wherefore means in light of this, I abhor myself. The word myself is in italics. Wherefore, I abhor and repent in dust and ashes. See, what impact did Job's brokenness have upon him? This suffering, the speech of the Lord that he heard, the sight of the glory of God that he was given. Here's the answer. Wherefore I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. In other words, he seen the guilt and shame of his sin as never before. Sins of thought, sins of word, sins of deed. And he humbled himself before the Lord. He was broken in the dust. His his pride was smashed in his heart. He was at the place, I am nothing and I have nothing. And I can do nothing to recommend myself to you. You see, if you really feel the pain of true suffering in these ways that I've described. And you hear the speech of the Lord in all the ways that the Lord speaks to us. In creation, in law, in conscience by his prophets, through his son, by his word. And you get a sight of him in the eternally sensual reality of his glory. You can't be okay. You'll never say, well, I'm not as bad as that fellow is. You'll never say, well, I'm as good as someone else. You'll never say, well, I'm religious and I go to church and I'm respectable. You'll never say, well, I'm basically a good person. Because once you get a sight of uh, 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 the glory of God and realize the, the holiness and righteousness of the Lord, then you'll humble yourself, even as Paul was urging, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Isaiah said, when he saw the glory of the Lord, woe is me, for I am undone, I am a man of unclean lips. See, the glory of the Lord, it reveals our sin. It reveals our shame. It shows us our true self. Now here's the question tonight. Have you ever seen the glory of God as creator? How do you react in his presence? Do you say with Job, Job 40 verse 3, in answer to these questions, getting a sight of glory of God as creator, behold I am vile. Have you laid your hand on your mouth and were silent before him and nothing to say, no protest in his presence? Have you also seen the glory of God as redeemer? Only the arm of the Lord can bring about salvation. Have you experienced the same thing? Wherefore I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. You see, once Job got sight of God's glory as creator, sight of God's glory as redeemer, he became a truly humbled and a truly broken man. And I have to ask the question, have we been broken by a sight of him? A sight of him by faith, a sound of him by faith. What have we seen and heard? What impact has it had? You see, there has to be the evidence of brokenness. And isn't this one of the things that's marked by absence? The opposite is someone full of pride. John the Baptist said, he must increase, I must decrease. But if we have truly sight and sound of him, pride will be broken. Because pride is sin. Think very quickly and lastly, the effect of this brokenness. 
You see, at the end of Job's period of suffering, when he heard this speech and got sight of the Lord, he now had a proper view of the Lord. And there's a difference between having a proper view of the Lord and a wrong view of the Lord. Many have a wrong view of the Lord. Their judgment is cloudy and their view of the Lord is dimmed and it leads to all sorts of errors and it leads to all sorts of problems. And what we need to have, even in suffering, is a proper Godward prospectus. And we need to be filled in our hearts and minds with a true knowledge of him. Who God is. And it's very important. The God of the Bible. And we need to have a true and proper perspective of our true self. Far too many think, well, I'm respectable, I'm religious, I'm righteous, I'm good in my own eyes. There's a lot worse than me in the world and their moral character and behavior. But you see, what they're doing is leaving the Lord out. They're leaving the reality of their own sinful depravity out. But once Job got a renewed vision of the Lord... And had a proper view of the Lord in his right prospectus. Here's his reaction. He said this. Who is he that hideth counsel without knowledge? Therefore have I uttered that I understood not. Things too wonderful for me. Which I knew not. Job was thinking and saying all that I know is nothing. It's only a little thing. In comparison to all that God is and all knows. Not only had he a proper view of the Lord, but he had a deeper view of the Lord. Do you know one of the scriptures that I love? It's in the meet and greet areas you come into the main meeting house here. And it's these words Be still and know that I am God. Psalm 46, verse 10. And you see, once we have a proper view of the Lord, that should lead to a deeper view of the Lord. And once we begin to know him in a greater and deeper and a better fashion, that will impact upon our lives. You see, I believe tonight that a proper view of the glory of the Lord will have such an impact on our lives that it will change and transform us. That's what it did for Isaiah. You read the first five chapters of Isaiah. He was a preacher, just like me. And he went about preaching woe and judgment in everybody. Woe to the adulterer and woe to the fornicator and woe to the, the drunkard and woe to the thief and woe to the gambler. And he denounced it all. And then he got into the Lord's presence and what did he say for the very first time? Woe is me. For I'm, I'm, undone. I'm a man of unclean lips. He was thinking about his own sin, his lies, his lust, his lewdness. And he was repenting of that before the Lord. You see, our view of the Lord must change our lives. It must impact upon us. We can't say I know him if it doesn't have a practical outworking, if it doesn't make us a better person, a better father, a better husband, a better young person, a better child. Paul says, if any man be in Christ, he is what? A new creature. All things have passed away, and all things have become new, and all things are of God. Here's a spirit of true repentance. And let me finish with this thought. Remember Job's three friends? He had four, but it doesn't mention Elihu at the end. Remember they were out to harm Job. They were not very helpful. They said, Job, you've sinned secretly, privately. God's punishing you. Now, that was a wrong thing to say to Job. But Job wasn't bitter. 
In fact, we read at the end that God told Job to pray for his enemies, to pray for his friends. Here's true contrition. Here's a real spirit of forgiveness. How Job was to treat his friends who had had maltreated him and and had wanted to hurt him rather than be helpful was indicative of where Job was in his own walk and relationship with the Lord. And yes, we make mistakes, and yes, we have regrets. But listen to this. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And the book says if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. And I pray tonight this as we finish. That we might have the experience of brokenness. And we might know the evidence of brokenness in our lives. That this effect may take place. That we have a proper view of the Lord. That we have a deeper view of the Lord. That it impacts upon us as we live our lives in the home, the school, the university and the workplace. And even when we sin against others. We'll confess our sin, we'll put it under the blood, and we'll seek to be right with one another before the Lord. May the Lord take these few thoughts and bless them to you. I trust it will be helpful as you think about the confession of a broken father.